On this, the third installment, we're sitting down with James Lingret, author of Preserving Maritime America, a cultural history of the nation's great maritime museums. In previous episodes, we were at the Peabody Essex Museum, and then we headed down to New Bedford for their whaling museum. Today, we're in Connecticut, talking about Mystic Seaport. So join us on the NASO Video Podcast. North American Society for Oceanic History was created by maritime scholars who met in 1971 at the University of Maine. They recognized that in North America there was no forum for maritime history or a society devoted to the study and promotion of maritime history. The aim of the original group of organizers was to create a diverse organization based initially on Canadian and American membership, which would gain the interest of others. Now there are members worldwide, and it is this diversity of membership that continues to make NASO a truly unique organization. 2020 marked the first year in recent memory that NASA was unable to meet, and therefore we bring historians, archaeologists, and students who are scheduled to present. And that kind of leads us into our next one, which we had our conference in in 2010, which, which was down in Mystic Seaport. And so, you know, as we continue our way down the coast here, so to speak, uh, let's talk a little bit about the Mystic Seaport and its role. Yeah, I went to that conference in... in, in um... 2010 also because my son had just moved to, to uh, it's a mystic area and so uh, that conference brought together uh, not only the National North Atlantic Society but also CAM the Council of American Maritime Museums but also the um, Peter Stafford's group uh, again dealing with uh, sea history so mystic seaport is a, an, another very different museum and so What's interesting about my book is that I start with Salem, which is, as I mentioned, 20 miles north of Boston. I go on to New Bedford, which is, again, south of Boston. And now I'm heading a little westward to the Mystic River in eastern Connecticut. Uh, Mystic Seaport was established. Uh, the charter was signed Christmas Day, 1929. And the the founder of Mystic Seaport, there were actually three, but the real founder was Carl Custer. Cutler. Uh, he's one of three major ship preservationists I introduced in my book. Now here's a chance to say how maritime preservation has got this subset, people who are interested primarily in ships. And Carl Cordon we'll talk about in San Francisco, and Peter Stanford we'll talk about in New York. But uh, Carl Cutler had been um, a disillusioned Yankee, I suppose you would call him. His, his father and uncle had gone to sea. His father was a Baptist um, a minister dealing with sailors. Carl Cutler uh, had moved to the Midwest. Uh, he was actually born out there. He would return to Mystic when his father took on, uh, again, um, a ministerial job for the Siemens Friends Society. Uh, Carl Cutler watched so much of New England change, and he was dissatisfied with it. Uh, if you go to Mystic, it still is kind of a small town in what is a region still rapidly changing. Um, Mystic is, um, uh, used to be a shipbuilding town, and the ships left, the business stopped because the trees were gone. 
uh, Mystica turned into a textile town. Uh, and again, like much of New England, that brought in uh, workers of a foreign, uh, foreign heritage. Carl Cutler was most disillusioned by the changes that he experienced when he was uh, in, in New York, uh, attending law school and working there. He was disillusioned by the post-World War I changes. And uh, he called many of the New York City types Broadway dudes. He thought they had lost that uh, hearty, stout New England character. He looked at American workers in factories and he thought they were nothing more than human jelly. Uh, they lost those traits of individualism and stout hardness, which he would so prize. So Carl uh, Cutler turned to writing history and his most prominent book was called Greyhounds to the Sea, which he looked at the, uh, the clippers of the 1840s and the 1850s. Carl Cutler was a romanticist to be sure. Uh, Samuel Eliot Morrison, who in the early 20th century was probably the foremost maritime historian, admitted that Carl Cutler did a lot of research, but it was all romanticized. And so he kind of spoofed it. But Carl Cutler had this vision of somehow restoring the Yankee character. And he wanted to do that at Mystic, which was a small little town, as you can see right there on the Mystic River. The Mystic River is an estuarial body. So again, it goes and flows with the tides. Uh, he lived there because his wife had, again, an old farmhouse she inherited on the western side of the river. And he had this dream of pulling together a museum. And he persuaded uh, two fellow mystic residents, uh, by the name of Bradley and Stillman, to help him. And in 1929, he began this effort. Now, Carl Cutler didn't want to just establish a museum. He wanted to establish a building ground for, for young men to develop seagoing character. And it's kind of like what maybe Annapolis would do with the Naval Academy. Or later academies like Fort Schuyler, which is SUNY Maritime, which Sal attended, uh, how education had to revolve also around training young men about the sea and working on the sea. So Carl Cutler began with this, this ambition to not only tell the story of Mystic, to tell the story of New Englanders at sea, but to somehow rebuild America's character one man at a time through Mystic Seaport. Now, he began in 29, but you know, Wall Street had crashed right before that. The, the 30s were desperate times. Uh, Carl Cutler's dream was salvaged by a prominent Mystic shipping family. Uh, first Clifford and then Philip Mallory. The Mallory shipbuilding companies were, were one of the largest, if not the largest in the first years of the 20th century. Uh, Philip Mallory became, uh, again, Cutler's benefactor after his brother Clifford had died. And the Mallory money helped get the seaport established through the 30s and the 40s. Uh, the Mallory's are an interesting uh, story in and of themselves. Uh, but the mystic story focused in the years after World War II with the growth of kind of our consumer culture. Everybody's read about how after World War II, you've got the baby boomers established, you've got the car culture growing, you've got suburbia on its rise, 
how tourism is so important in, in again, creating an American identity, creating an American pastime. And Mystic Seaport began to boom in the years right after World War II. In fact, that's when what had been called the Marine Historical Association took on this cuter name of Mystic Seaport in the very late 1940s. Uh, the seaport boomed in the 50s and 60s, as largely because of post-war uh, nationalism, this, this attempt to establish an American identity, and Carl Cutler played into that with his Mystic Seaport characteristic of sailors. Mystic Seaport also boomed in the, in the late 40s and early 50s with anti-communism, because Mystic Seaport was cast as, again, representative of American individualism, the free market society. And Mystic Seaport took advantage of that as it uh, created its identity. Uh, Mystic Seaport was growing to the disillusionment of Cutler, though. He wanted a small port. Uh, bigness was a problem. Bigness of America, bigness of New York City, bigness of corporation. He wanted a smaller museum, but Mallory is the one who would be tied to corporate America. In fact, Mallory is going to be one who is um, uh, most famous for creating this company called Duracell, Duracell Battery. Mallory is the one who uh, helped engineer the expansion of Mystic Seaport. It grew and grew and grew. By the 1960s, Mystic Seaport was having kind of a professional crisis, though, because the profession would be changing. Just as I mentioned, as the civil rights movement affected historians, you know, we historians want to tell the story of more diverse America, of people of color, of women, of Native Americans. Well, the 1960s also, with the professionalization of preservation, what you have is a different type of regimen being established. In 1966, the National Historic Preservation Act was passed by Congress, and this act did wonders for trying to turn the preservation movement into a more professional operation. One where there would be a focus initially on aesthetics, buildings, architecture, but also focus on bringing in communities. And in the 1960s and 70s, Mystic Seaport is going to go through this change as well. Uh, Mystic Seaport uh, by virtue of its location, it's near New Haven, Boston, New York, all within a day's drive. Uh, Mystic Seaport is going to be, in many ways, the, uh, the symbol for how maritime museums are able to change. Because beginning in the 1890s, excuse me, in the 1980s, what we have is the leadership at the seaport, led largely by J. Revel Carr, uh, sees its opportunity to not only professionalize its presentation, and that's going to be using what's called the new social history, but also to reach a larger audience. And this is going to lead in the 1990s to uh, this recognition that American maritime history is not told adequately across the nation. Now, go a step back. You mentioned earlier the Smithsonian, which was established in the late 1840s. The Smithsonian did have, again, a wing dealing with maritime history, but it did not really tell a major national story. And so it was kind of a piecemeal operation. 
Mystic Seaport realized that in this vacuum, it had the opportunity to expand and tell a larger story of how Mystic and New England represented the nation's history at sea. And this is going to lead to Mystic claiming the name of uh, the um, Museum of America at Sea, Museum of America, okay? What occurred in the 1990s, therefore, was this movement by Mystic to professionalize its ranks, to again tell a larger story, to somehow fill the gap that other museums had failed to fill, and that is presenting uh, the story of the nation on the, the oceans, all the oceans, all the seas across the globe. So Mystic Seaport is in, today, in many ways today the professional leader. Uh, the DuPont family helped establish the preservation shipyard. Uh, today, um, it does wonders when it comes to how ship construction, ship maintenance is, is again undertaken. In fact, uh, this week, uh, the Mystic Seaport Shipyard is finishing um, the Mayflower II, which is going back to Plymouth, a three-year operation in which this ship from the 1950s, this reconstruction, was re-engineered and uh, maintained. Uh, the Preservation Shipyard is just one aspect of how Mystic Seaport has this in a larger uh, all-encompassing agenda. Its Maritime Research sit, uh, Center, in a form of textile mill is again a wonderful collection of resources for historians, for again uh, collectors, for those who are interested in all aspects of the sea. Uh, its educational program is probably the best in the country and this educational program starts with training youngsters uh, in, in going to sea. Again, uh, sailing small little craft. It continues uh, through all ages up to the college level. And Mystic Seaport's educational program is, again, a good example of recognizing that there had to be a future when it comes down to how Americans going to uh, and cope with the sea. So when you think of Mystic Seaport today, it's pretty much the, the, the movement's leader. And that leadership is not only through the preservation shipyard, through its educational operations, uh, through its embrace of the new social, social history when telling the story of the diverse Americans who have been at sea. A lot of things could be said about Mystic Seaport. And as I said, they all go back to this realization of Carl Cutler back in the 1920s that Americans had to be reconnected to the sea. And how that reconnection is made is uh, an ongoing task. So Mystic Seaport is, is pretty much the, the leader in the movement today and well, creates a nice contrast with the others. Yeah, I think you're right, Jim. I, I think quintessentially Mystic is there. I mean, the, the, the Munson Institute, the, the Paul Cuff Fellowship, the, 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 their, their work with the NE, NEH to provide really the education, the Conrad, which is just an amazing vessel to, to go on. And you're right, we just had, a, in fact, we just posted out the video of uh, Mayflower setting sail, heading up to uh, uh, return back up to Plymouth. And that work was just an amazing thing to watch too. They documented that and, and, and using construction techniques and, and just, again, quintessentially, uh, I think it's hard to, to beat Mystic when, when yeah. it comes to that. We were up there in 2010 for that conference. And again, it was a wonderful time. I enjoy every opportunity I can to get to Mystic along with some good pizza. 
Yeah, that's true, Mystic Pizza. But the 2010 conference also gave us a chance to look at the guts of Charles W. Morgan. Mm. Again, America's last whaling ship, you know, coming out of New Bedford. Uh, the New Bedford Whaling Museum had failed to save it. Mystic Carl Cutler took on the task. And Charles W. Morgan is the oldest commercial, uh, again, sailing vessel in the nation today. And the, uh, again, remaking of it, the, again, uh, the reconstruction that was necessary, the restoration of most of it was an amazing uh, task that, again, the seaboard had undertaken. And it showed, in many ways, the, the, uh, the courage of the place, because if it had failed to reconstruct, to restore Morgan, it would have been a, a sad commentary on the museum and the movement. But Charles W. Morgan went to sea again uh, six or seven years ago, uh, sailed up to Boston, docked next to USS Constitution. And it showed that these ships at the docks of these museums weren't just pretty stage settings. They could be active vessels if given the money. And this is a point I'll make in another chapter, but you know, maritime preservation, ship preservation is very expensive and it's very time consuming. It takes a lot of skilled craftsmen and craftswomen, skilled personnel. And Mystic Seaport has been able to pull that all together through Charles W. Morgan. Uh, I have the opportunity to know quite a few curators and directors of museums and, and Ray Ashley out in San Diego will always tell you money is, is, is one of the big issues to keep things going. Our fourth installment with author James Lindgren, whose book, Preserving Maritime America, A Cultural History of the Nation's Great Maritime Museums, will take us down to the lower Chesapeake Bay, specifically in Newport News, Virginia, where we'll be examining the Mariner's Museum. So join us on the next episode of the NASO Video Podcast.